It's a coincidence, but I really believe in that, that when you work on yourself towards a goal, you will start talking to people, you will start to be more open-minded and things will come to you. And this is, again, what happened. Like I decided, I mean, it was even written, what I want is uh, to help life science organizations to digitally transform. So I love technologies, I love, love life sciences. And guess what? Uh, I've been contacted by Microsoft. That's Muriel Bechtow speaking. Muriel is a global client director at Microsoft, where she works to support major companies like Roche to help them transform healthcare through the use of tech. I'm your host, Lisa Kristen, and every other week or so, I interview one exceptional leader just like Muriel to unpack how they've created their success and to discover their recommended tools, tips, and strategies that inspire listeners like you to take your leadership to the next level. Prior to working in healthcare technology at Microsoft, Muriel worked in a various strategic leadership positions directly in the healthcare industry. Most recently, she was a country manager of Switzerland at Molnik Healthcare, and she was a strategic marketing manager for the Europe, Middle East, Africa region at Johnson & Johnson prior to that. In today's episode, I spoke with Muriel about how to become a super badass achiever like she is. Honestly, Muriel is the most determined, dedicated person I know, and it's no wonder she's been able to achieve as much as she has. Muriel had a piece of advice for you to level up your leadership, and it's this. Doors to success will open up for you when you commit to continuous personal growth and goal setting. It's this combination of strategy and execution of your goals that many of us could improve on, especially if you're like I am and you tend to lose some enthusiasm for the project about a quarter of the way in. So staying committed, staying focused, and always learning to be better and better, that's the trick to success. So if you wanna know Muriel's secrets to actually completing and achieving her goals, And if you're wondering how can you actually get to methodically check off all those major life goals that you have on your to-do list, then get comfortable and spend the next hour listening in to my conversation with Muriel Bechtel. Hi, Muriel. Welcome to Level Up Your Leadership. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to have you here today. First and foremost, I have to say I'm most excited because you are my personal mentor. (laughs) So normally I get to speak to you and I get to ask you questions, but really when we talk, it's all about me. Yeah. (laughs) Very selfishly. (laughs) And so now I get to finally sort of interview you and talk to you and get to know a little bit more about you. And as I mentioned earlier, we, you know, when I first asked you to be my mentor, I was talking to you about how I love that you're so goal oriented. It's this amazing part of you say it's part of your personality, but I say it's this drive that you have inside of you that really stands out. And it's what makes me say like, I need tips from you. I need to know exactly how to do it. And you light a fire underneath my butt. So (laughs) every time we're done talking, I go home and I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. You should hear me say to my husband, like, Muriel's right. I have these thousand things that I need to add to my to-do list. What was I thinking? (laughs) I'm never going to talk to her again. But but, I mean, it's fantastic. And so I really wanted to invite you onto the show and maybe share a little bit more about you know, how maybe the first question is just how did you get to be so goal oriented? How did you get to be so good at achieving your goals? <laughs> it's uh, difficult to explain because I have the feeling I've been always like this, but it could be that it's part of the education I received. My father really uh, encouraged me to do sports, for example, to learn uh, new languages, to be good at school. And uh, he was really uh, motivating me in that direction. So, um, I mean, to, just to give you an example, he liked skiing with us, with my brother and myself. And so if we would go one day to the mountains and the weather was bad and the lift didn't work, well, he say, well, we, are, we didn't come here for nothing. So take your skis, walk up with me 
and then we'll ski down. And so I think I've got this drive from my father that uh, talked us that uh, you have to put some efforts to get good things. And yeah, I guess since I'm a child, this is what I learned. And uh, this is what I experienced, you know, when you want to achieve good things, then uh, you need a plan. Uh, you need to focus on the end goal, even despite obstacles. And where the obstacles are too high, you need to find another way to reach your goal or maybe lower a bit your expectations and choose a different route. But that's not only the goal that is exciting, it's also the way <laughs> to, to reach the, the goal. Because obviously when I reached what I wanted, then uh, to be satisfied, I need to have another <laughs> list <laughs> uh, of goals I want to achieve. Uh, and it's a continuous uh, path, you know. How do you even pick the goals that you want to go for? There are so many amazing things that anyone could do right now. You know, for me, I see someone playing the guitar. I'm like, wow, that would be cool if I played the guitar. Maybe I should learn how to play the guitar. You know, I'm a bit curious about everything. So sometimes I just have trouble picking which goal am I even going to go for? What's your process for sorting through or even knowing what it is you want to yeah, achieve? Yeah. Okay. So for a long time now, I have um, notes. So every year I put some ideas on what I would like to do in the coming year or in five years time. And there I'm pretty free in what I wrote. But at some point you realize, oh, there are just too many ideas and I'm not going to be able to do all of this. So then the second step is to really focus on the things that are really important that I want to achieve and the things where I will really enjoy it if I do it. So it's a combination. But of course, it's not a one-year plan. It's you have to have an idea, vision of the type of life you want to conduct. So I used to work for Johnson & Johnson, a great multinational. I was here in Zouk. And it was very stimulating what I did. I was working with very smart people, but it was a very demanding job. And also at some point I realized, well, if I want to move on in my career in this company, I will be asked at some point to leave Switzerland, to go to another country or to go in a role where I will be constantly traveling. And I was during many years very career oriented. But at some point I asked myself, okay, but what is it really that you want in your life? Do you want to constantly uh, go after a career or what about your private life? What about your hobbies? Um, because I have lots of interest. And uh, what about Switzerland? And I decided for myself, I want to stay in Switzerland. So what should I do to be able to stay in Switzerland career-wise? And so I decided I need to get more integrated in the uh, local economy. And for that, I need to take over a local role. But I, I'm still ambitious, so I wanted a, a leadership role. And once you decided that for you, then the rest is easier. I mean, easier. It's not easy, but it makes it easier because you know exactly what you're looking for. And so then, then it followed. I mean, then uh, I focused on looking for a leadership local role and I found it. And I had already at that time in my head, okay, I asked myself, how long do I want to do it? Because I know myself, if I go into a routine, then I need the next thing. So I decided for myself and also communicated to the new company, uh, I'm going to do this five years. And then I knew, well, two years before finishing the five years, I have to make thoughts about what is the next step. So, and it, this is really what I did. <laughs> like, I have to pause here because there are so many questions going through my head. Like, how do you even get yourself that organized? Like, how do you even know what questions to ask yourself? Does it all come from within you? Or do you have other people you speak to about your career paths or? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm a person who do a lot of self-reflection. So that's why I like to spend time for myself alone, time that it is productive for me, even so I'm not working or doing something special, but I'm thinking I read a lot and I talk a lot to people as well. I ask feedback as well. You know, I mean, my partner, for example, he knows me very well and he's happy if I make a career, but he knows too that I like enjoying my life and I need uh, to reserve a big part of my life for 
nice things. So I get feedbacks from friends. And so it's, it's a mix of uh, reading, self-reflection, getting feedbacks from your friends, and then slowly you make up your mind. I wouldn't say that all feedbacks from your friends, I, I, I don't listen to it. I mean, I listen, but I don't Take the advice. <laughs> yeah, take the advice. Yeah, in the end, you are making a decision for your life. So, uh, but that self-reflection, I think it's very important and also opening up your mind because sometimes we have these beliefs that there are certain things we can't do. So, for example, I knew I wanted to go into this digital area where I am now at Microsoft. But I thought at some point it's impossible. Yeah, how, how can I do that? I've been in healthcare for so many years. I have no clue about uh, IT, even so I, I worked in IT a long time ago. So how do I make myself attractive to companies? And sometimes you need some external help. So I was on the platform Blue Steps, and there I was looking for a coach. I mean, there was a promotion to get a coach to improve your LinkedIn profile. And during the discussion with him, he realized that I was not super happy in what I was doing. And he said, well, if you want to, I can help you to find your ideal job. And then we started some coaching sessions, not so many actually, to uh, he had a methodology to uh, you know define what is your ideal job, what is your value proposition as well. And when you have worked on this unique value proposition, you feel very strong. You feel that you can do anything in your life. <laughs> and then it's, it's a coincidence, but I really believe in that, that when you work on yourself towards a goal, you will start talking to people. You will start to be more open-minded and things will come to you. And this is, again, what happened. Like I decided, I mean, it was even written, what I want is uh, to help life science organizations to digitally transform so I love technologies, I love life sciences. And guess what? Uh, I've been contacted by Microsoft and I was a bit skeptical at the beginning, but I thought, okay, let's get the conversation. And it was just about that, the role that they proposed me. So I was like, wow. <laughs> it's <laughs> like they read your unique value proposition. And I really want to take a step back and ask you about that. I assume that you did that for you as a person or you as a candidate, you as your career. How did you create that or what did that look like? I mean, this coach helped me basically. So, I mean, it's difficult to explain. There is a whole, um, you know, it gave me some questionnaire and there, there are many, many different questions about what I achieved so far. What are my strengths? So, for example, on the achievements, there is a certain way you need to write your achievements. It, it's, um, it should be uh, very precise also, if possible, with real facts like, uh, I don't know, sales achievements or you grew market share by so much percentage and so on. And so you have to make it very concrete. Uh, on the strengths, you, there is a book called Strengths Finder. So if you, sometimes we are not too sure. I mean, we know our strengths normally, but sometimes we need a confirmation. We can ask friends, but there is a great book, Strengths Finder. So, and there, the Strengths Finder gives you, I think, four to five strengths you have. It doesn't focus on weaknesses. It's, <laughs> it, you know, it tells you just focus on your strengths. You don't try to be better at something you're bad at. Yeah. It won't help much, but focus on your strengths and find the jobs where you can be good because you can use your strengths. And I am a strong believer in this. So I know that I'm good in sales, for example, uh, because I'm well organized, I'm a goal achiever, I'm a networker. So I had to admit for myself, yes, sales is definitely an area where I need to be or marketing as well, because I, ha I have lots of ideas. So you have to be honest with yourself. And even so, I would say, oh, I would love to be an artist but you don't really have the skills for that. I don't say you can't develop the skills, but you have to have some basis. And then at the end, we looked at it with the coach and I, I made different tries. I wrote myself my unique proposition, but he gave me some examples. And then he challenged me on it. It took some sessions until I had the, the right one. And it's not very long. And then you can use it, put it in your CV or you can use it as an elevator pitch. Uh, you can put it in your LinkedIn profile, whatever. And this is something you repeat to yourself. And uh, at the beginning, it, it looks a bit awkward. You know, you think it's fake. But when you see that it resonates with people, then you're like, wow, it's working. So let's use it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to just mention something about strengths because a lot of what I train people on is go with your strengths and don't rely on your strengths. And this is a perfect opportunity to just bring a little bit of clarity on that. 
there are natural preferences that people have. So when we talk about strengths, it's something that is a natural preference for you. And then you've over time, most often naturally developed it because you enjoyed it. It felt good. And so it got better and better over time to become a strength. And so if that's sort of who your personality, I would say find a job that absolutely matches your strengths, right? Like I'm not going to go out and try out for a basketball team. I'm not going to make it, <laughs> nor would I try, try to be a CFO of a company because the details of numbers I don't find so interesting. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't have capabilities in it. I worked in compensation for years. I messed up nobody's salary. Thank you. But that idea that we work our strengths is really good and you want to find the right job, the right fit for what naturally comes to you, what you naturally enjoy. And then from there, you want to be able to flex beyond your strengths. So you don't want your strengths to sort of limit you because a lot of people say, oh, this is my personality or this is who I am. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just going to continue to be this way. Mm -hmm. And then they're quite inflexible in dealing with other Mm -hmm. people in other ways. Um, So strengths and finding the right job or your unique value proposition is perfect. And then working that job and flexing beyond sort of strengths is also really important in uh, some stuff that we've talked about with leadership agility and being able to meet the needs of other people. So assuming, you know, you go to a client, maybe they don't have the same exact personality preferences as you do. I assume you still go in and talk to them the way that they want to be talked to <laughs> versus the way yeah, we want I mean, to be okay, talked to. In sales, you learn that anyway. <clears throat> you learn about... Um, I mean, first you learn about the different profiles of uh, customers, um, or human beings they are, and you learn uh, how to behave. <laughs> I mean, first how to identify the right profile through questions and then how to adapt your behavior to that person. So in sales, you have to do it if you want to be successful. But you know, if you are not in sales, you I mean, not everybody knows these techniques and not everybody's aware how important this is in any type of communication, even with uh, your husband or wife or children. But we are all responsible for that. So if I think when people feel really unhappy in a situation, be it at work or in the family, before trying to find the mistakes in the others, they should uh, look into themselves and uh, alone, and alone it's very difficult because we are not enough self-critical when we're alone. So the best way, I think, is to, well, you can take a coach, but you can also, I mean, the coach will do this test with you, Bristol Mayer, or with many others. And in the work environment, you can do also this 360 feedback survey. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like it, but because they may be afraid of the truth. <laughs> and it's painful. Yeah, I've done it uh, twice. So I can say it's uh, quite painful. And uh, the first reaction is you don't accept it. If I can be nosy, what was the most painful comment that you remember? If you if you're willing to share that, I <laughs> uh, don't. You, you tend to forget those. <laughs> <laughs> you try very hard. So, for example, someone said that I had not been fair, that I was not treating people the same way with the same fairness, and that was very a very tough feedback for me because I see myself as a very fair person. It's very important to me. So then I try to understand, you know, in which situations uh, did this happen? And maybe did I treat someone uh, in a privileged way, but unconsciously? And why? So these are, this is not something I, uh, I never thought that I would get this kind of feedback, honestly. So mm-hmm. then I, I know that, okay, I have to be a bit more careful because people know that I'm very open-minded, friendly. They can talk to me about everything. But sometimes people uh, also try to use me as a manager to get protection or to to manipulate, so to say. And so I, I, I realized for myself, you know, as a manager, you have also uh, to try to be neutral and, and really take time to make your own judgment. Always look at the different perspectives and not go into conclusions too fast based on some bias, for example. And probably I've been, I mean, I'm someone who can judge fast, you know? And so the risk of that is that you will make the wrong decision and make wrong judgment and then be unfair in the eyes of the other person. Why is it so difficult for us to receive feedback, do you think? And do you have any techniques to make it easier? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my God. Uh, why is it so difficult? I think because we have a certain perception of ourselves and we think this is a reality. And when someone comes to you with a different perception, it kind of really disturbs your own uh, reality, so to say. I mean, it's uh, because you want to be that perfect person with these attributes and so on. And if people come and say, no, actually, I don't see you like this. You know, like, like I, I always, for me, it was always important to be a fair person. And two persons came to me and said, no, you are very unfair and in these situations. And, and it, it hurts because this is not how you want to be perceived. And also you don't understand, you know, why did I do wrong? So you need to, uh, that's the first emotional reaction. Then you will rationalize it, try to understand why this happened, how, how you can make it better. And technique, I think the more you practice feedback, not only receiving, but also giving. I mean, maybe the, okay, I think the best way to make it less painful is to not wait that people give you feedback. And and people don't always give feedback, you know. There's some people, who, you will learn it behind the scene. Yeah? And, and, and you will learn it when it went very emotional. And then it's very hard. So I would suggest the best way is to go to people and ask for feedback directly. And it will be less painful because first you did the approach, the person will receive it very well normally and normally they will give you a more constructive feedback because in the in the other way if you wait for feedback to come to you usually it's not constructive usually it's going to be something negative and it, it would be a surprise to you and it will hurt but if you go to the person and if yourself you give feedbacks in a constructive manner like starting with the good things and uh, maybe highlighting one thing they could improve and not a big list because then it kills you. <laughs> so, and if you do it, you practice it yourself, people, you, people will see you as an, a good example and they will tend to do the same, but you need to go to them and ask for feedback. So I can say at Microsoft, we have a feedback culture. So people do this all the time and I find it's very great. So it's a very natural thing to give feedback and receive feedback. And even so, sometimes it's not really pleasant. It's never pleasant if people tell you that something you're not doing so good and you should improve. But then you can also ask the question, so what do you suggest I should do to get better at this if you don't know, you know? And if the person gives you only negative feedback, you could say, okay, and is there anything positive about who I am, what I'm doing? You could <laughs> take it this I hope, fingers crossed. <laughs> Uh, you know, and also we, we should always see feedback as a gift because it's a chance to uh, improve them and build better relationships with people. So having said that, it's, you know, it's not easy for me either. What I heard you say, though, which goes back to when I say you're very goal, what I see is you're very goal oriented is, you know, <laughs> When I receive feedback, I'm like, wow, that, I did something wrong. I'm terrible at <laughs> X, Y, or Z. You know, I, I take it very personally as an yeah. initial reaction. And you, it sounded like for you, even if you take it personally, you can quite quickly bounce back and say, okay, this is learning. Okay, what can I do differently? Okay, there's a new goal opportunity here. <laughs> yeah, but this is something you learn as, you know, I attended obviously in my roles, uh, lots of training, now yeah? management training. So you learn this stuff now. Yeah? I read a lot as well. So you learn from the wisdom of others. It's not something that came naturally to me. Okay. No. So everyone naturally feels hurt. This is, this is my understanding when I read back into like the psychology of feedback is, you know, it sort of raises our um, heart rates. It's like a, a threat, you know, a physical threat, yeah. but an emotional threat. So we feel we're getting feedback. Yeah. But if you look at, you know, if you understand feedback is a gift, it's a chance to improve. Once you know that for yourself, you, you should be thankful to this person because many people don't give you feedback. I mean, most of the time. So I like people who give me feedback, even if it's so negative, because they, first it's courageous. It means to me that they appreciate me still, uh, because if they wouldn't, they wouldn't care to give me feedback. And, um, so they give you the chance to learn about yourself, but it's practice. It's like all the difficult things that you need to practice. And you've mentioned that you do a lot of self-reflection. You said you went to a coach for a bit. You've done management trainings. You've read lots of books. 
What would you say has been a book or a topic from a management training you've attended that has been really stand out for you, transformational? Yes, one topic that was very new to me that I learned a few years ago. It's, it was when I was at Munlika Healthcare. It was my second year only, and they sent me to um kind of talent development program, you know. And the first part of the program was about managing, it was called high-performance leadership. And first I thought, okay, it's going to be about how you can maximize your results, how can you do better strategic planning, blah, blah, blah. But no, it was not about this. It was about how can you better manage your energy to be performant in the long run, like uh, an athlete. And we spent uh, two or three days where we talked about what to eat, for example, what food to eat when to get energy, to get the right energy, about recovery, sleeping enough, sleeping seven and a half hours minimum uh, every night. And why is that important? And about uh, also a recovery through meditation, for example, even so, I have to admit I don't do meditation. I, I should probably, but I'm not there yet. And about uh, also sports or physical activity, let's say, not necessarily sport, but physical activity. And they highlighted, you know, how it is important to uh, take care of all these four components, not only one or two, really. All of them are necessary so you can best manage uh, your energy in the long uh, run. Because at a certain level in leadership positions, it's very tough. There's lots of stress. So you need to learn how to uh, reduce that stress level. Really, I mean, this was uh, amazing for me. I mean, I, I don't manage to really put it into practice all the time. It sounds simple, but it's not at all. I mean, as I told you, I don't meditate, for example, but I try, I mean, on the food, I change the, the way I eat. Definitely. Um, it's not perfect, but at least I, I um, changed my habits. I uh, went back into fitness, physical activities, but also there I seeked for advice on what are the right physical activities for myself uh, so I don't hurt myself and don't exaggerate, don't try to do too much where it's not necessary. And, um, okay, sleeping the, there I was good, but I realized, okay, but I could improve my sleep rhythm. So what should I do for that? So you have apps to help you with that. And uh, yeah, so the, there this was very surprising to me. And uh, I don't know if there are, there are probably books on that. I don't know. But it was interesting, this comparison with being an athlete, you know, and how do athletes manage their energy? And as a leader, you have to do the same. That's so interesting because exactly like you said, you think I'm going to go into a management training. I'm going to go learn some strategy. I'm going to go learn about, you know, processes for, for the business. And they've really caught on to this has been a huge trend recently. Actually, we do need to manage our energies, manage our bodies, manage our emotions. This is all the latest sort of trainings. It's not really that business acumen stuff anymore. Most people at the high levels already know that. And what sort of gets thrown to the wayside in climbing our way up the ladder is this energy management. So I know actually, I think the number one thing that I hear most often is people say, well, I can't sleep eight hours. I mean, that would be impossible because when would I get the work done? When would I see the kids? When would I you know, see my partner? When would I do all these sports I'm supposed to be doing? When am I cooking all these healthy whole meals? You know, And so many people just give up on sleep, but it's actually one of the worst things you can give up on. <laughs> yeah. I read recently that sleep is even more important than the physical activity. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes you, know, you have to make trade-offs, as you say. But uh, for me, sleep is, uh, I mean, I don't have issues sleeping eight hours. I don't sleep every day eight hours, but I mean, I, my body needs it. I know some people struggle with that, but for me, it's super important. It's number one. So I'd rather do the trade-off on uh, physical activities if uh, I won't reduce my sleep to do more sport, for example. So, but sometimes I realize that I I'm tired and I know I'm going, I'm not going to be very efficient on a task. I will spend too much time on it. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, so just leave it. Go and run or go and walk if I don't feel running or go and meet a friend 
and then I come back and I'm much more productive. And, and when you experience it a few times and you put it into practice, you realize, uh, okay. And, and also, you know, sometimes we tend, some people are perfectionists and I used to be perfectionist, but then you realize, you know, uh, you go to the meeting, you have your perfect presentation, etc., but it doesn't go, uh, run at plan, you know, and, and you realize, well, with less work put into this, it, I will have the same results. Because in the end, what is important in that meeting is the energy I bring to people. And so if I had a good sleep, if uh, I've done my physical activities, if I ate the right thing, then I will have this positive energy. People will feel it. That's a really important shift. So many inspirational, motivational people say, give 100%, give that extra, you know, you think you're done, you can keep going and we work our asses off and it has to be perfect and preparation is the key to success and all this stuff. But the reality is that leads to a burnout. And in the end, as you just said, you could work hard, 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 have everything prepped and still didn't go, you know, yeah. magnificently, which happens to all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it could have just been that you balanced it a little bit more and would have gone as well, but at least you would have had more energy or you would have had a better presentation because you would have been more in the moment there. Yeah. You know, I feel like sometimes when we work so hard, when we're over preparing, when we're trying to be perfect, that anxiety level that it brings with it doesn't allow that ability to just be in the moment and and as things sort of go awry or someone asks that question that you really didn't want them to ask, <laughs> you know, if your anxiety level's down a bit, you're more open and ready to handle that kind of stuff than if you're already at this super high anxiety level. Yeah. And then, I mean, of course you need to prepare to get prepared, but then, you know, there are ways that you can delegate certain things, uh, make everybody accountable for a successful meeting. Sometimes we try to do everything ourselves because we think we know the best and we will do it better, right? But we have to accept, okay, I'm going to delegate it to this person. I know it's not going to be according to my expectations, but it doesn't mean it won't be good. So let's give it a try. And then also um, we have to try not to procrastinate, so really to start early on. When we know there is a meeting in one month, I'm not going to prepare it uh, last minute, a week before. I need to start now, uh, step by step, and then uh, it's a bit more relaxed. Yeah. Now. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about burnout. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, how prevalent it is. Um, and I'm curious to know, how does this energy management stuff tie into people feeling overworked, overwhelmed at work, overloaded? I mean, the example that you and I were giving is that a lot of companies are trending towards getting rid of administrative assistants who help with formatting stuff or booking flights or helping with visas or you know some of these tasks. And they're now just putting that onto managers. Yeah. And that's great. We saved that full-time headcount, except managers just have even more added to their plates. Yeah. Yeah. What can managers do to sort of manage that, you know, just they're in charge of everything. Middle management is responsible for everything. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't have the magic answer to that. <laughs> Darn, you'd be a millionaire if you did. Yeah. <laughs> really, you have to find you know, for yourself every week, uh, you know, what are the priorities? What is it that is not so important if I don't do it? Uh, I mean, there is this, uh, I think it's called the Eisenhower matrix. So where you have the um, things that are urgent and important. And so if you, sometimes it's helpful where you really don't know anymore, you can uh, use this matrix and assign the tasks you have that are uh, super urgent, but not important. And then it helps you to prioritize, you know, and, and maybe what is not important, not urgent, you can kill it basically without feeling guilty. Yeah. But sometimes we also feel guilty if uh, we ask to do certain things and we don't do it, yeah, just because the manager asks. But also managers don't necessarily see the workload we have and some people are scared to tell them no um, because they're scared to lose their job, basically. But if we don't make this, uh, if we don't raise the awareness of the workload, then how can they know, you know, they don't realize and uh, they're busy themselves. So. I think it's about having intelligent conversation also with your hierarchy, um, using these prioritization tools, um, be courageous to kill certain tasks. And, you know, yeah, there are always some nice to have things where you're like, yeah, I know I 
would be good, but no, don't have the time because also I want to spend some time with my friends, with my family or cooking or doing sports. So it's always about finding trade-offs. But it's getting more and more complicated, I have to say, because there are more and more tasks that are mandatory where you don't have the choice to say no and it accumulates. And technology doesn't help because with emails and, and we need to fix the email issue because people nowadays, instead of making a quick call where they will have a quick answer, they spend their time sending emails. I mean, the ones I love are the ones who, you know, spend so much time on writing a long email and you don't even want to read it. <laughs> and uh, so we are all spending so much time behind our computer reading emails and it's not really productive. So there are new tools like using um, collaboration tools, using chats in these tools that help to reduce emails. But people are so much used to emails, uh, into the habits that uh, it's difficult to change their way of doing things, but it's it's a killer. I mean, emails. <laughs> Do you have any other uh, very specific tips about how you can either manage your emails or manage, you know, I'm thinking about with managing the people around you. How do you get them to, how do you say to people like, don't email me, <laughs> call me, stop by my desk or, you know, come to me at this time and I'll be ready for you, but just don't send me another email. Yeah. Can you do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I say to people, look, you don't need to CC me on things because uh, I don't need to know everything. I trust you. So avoid to CC me first, to copy, put me on copy. Send me an email if you need my input, if you need me to make a decision. It doesn't always work. But then I know who are the ones who are used to CC me. And then uh, I tend not to read their emails because I, with the time you know if you're going to miss something or not. So you have to identify those who feel safer if they CC you. You can also, you have some um, functionalities in your email tools and uh, to you can automate certain things you know like uh, emails coming from your boss will be highlighted and you definitely know you have to read this one in priority but emails coming from other people you can uh, archive and you read it maybe once a month when you have some time uh, so there are techniques like that and also you can uh, lead by example so if yourself, uh, you don't CC everybody, if you, um, in the topic, you have a very specific uh, title on what it is about and your email is uh, short and, and uh, with an action, then people, you will influence people positively. I mean, they will tend to write the same way. And, and, and you know, when I've got too many emails, so honestly, I don't read all my emails. But I'm all, I think that if there is something urgent, at some point the person sees you don't answer, they will call you usually. So why it's... don't they just call in the first place? Anybody listening, just call in the first place. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't understand because uh, today, okay, more and more at Microsoft, we use Skype. We have Skype for business, yeah? And we send a quick message on Skype. And that's a nice way because it's like, okay, can I chat with you for a minute? Okay, if you're available, you call each other and it's done and uh, it was fast, quick. I, I like that. It's it's better than emails. Yeah, emails yeah. can accumulate. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. It's just it's just overwhelming. You know, you go to a meeting, you come back and you have 50 emails. Yeah. You yeah. can't get through it. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, even if there is a day off or weekends, uh, I know every Monday morning uh, I have at least 50 emails in my mailbox that came uh, on Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. How, how was it? I've, I've been curious to ask you, now that you've moved into tech versus working in, you know, uh, medtech yeah. or mm -hmm. you know, pharma, life sciences, or whatever yeah. you call them, um, how's the pace? Because yeah. I, I assume, yeah. correctly or not, yeah. that in pharma, you know, there are uh, regulatory authorities that sort of delay things, or maybe the pace is a little bit slower. Yeah. And in tech, I mean, yeah, yeah. And yeah, sales that's, is... That's it. I mean, yeah. IT, the IT world is extremely fast, though. It has to, it's highly competitive. Uh, the pace of uh, technology progress is uh, super high and it's too fast for um, most of the other industries. So it creates some conflict sometimes. I mean, especially in healthcare, that is probably one of the slowest industry because of the reasons you mentioned. So yeah, IT companies, uh, like they bring the technologies, they want to help those industries to transform 
And sometimes they don't get it that, okay, but sorry, it's not about technology. It's about people uh, and it's about processes. But you start with the people. People have to be ready to change. And this is a long process for some. We are not equal there towards change. And um, when people are ready to change, then they will work on new processes and then they will choose the technology to enable that. But technology is the easy part. And people working in IT are used to this high pace. So they struggle sometimes to understand that other industries have a different pace. They are not used to change, to to get new functionalities uh, every week or to change their boss every year, etc. I mean, and, and so there is, um, culturally, it's, it's extremely different. So uh, it's about educating people in IT, but also educating people in healthcare. So they uh, adopt change a bit faster. Let me ask you this. How do you like a fast-paced environment? Uh, I would say I, I like the, the, the fast pace, but IT is extremely fast. And I, I was in the four, last 14 years in uh, healthcare. So during 14 years, I really worked in a very different environment. Uh, everything is much slower. I worked with hospitals in Switzerland and there the decision-making process is extremely slow. So it was a cultural shock for me. And I guess... I feel comfortable somewhere between the two. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely I had to adapt myself and, um, it's a, it's a challenge, but I would say I prefer when it's a bit faster than too slow. I think I, in the IT space, and that, that goes too fast for any one human being to really keep up with. I mean, okay, maybe yeah. there are like extraordinary Elon Musk style people who can really, you know, go with it. But I think for the rest of us regular souls, <laughs> Um, that pace is almost impossible to keep up with in a long term, maybe in the short term, you know, a couple of years, you can sort of grind out working on the weekends, working in the evenings, working on holidays, you were at work today, it's a federal, it's a bank holiday today. But that can't be a long term. So I mean, can, can I don't know, maybe I'll ask you this, can people do you think stay in that kind of a fast paced changing environment for an entire career? I think when the younger you are, the easier it is. So young people can adopt to change pretty easily. I mean, especially the generation that are born with the internet and the smartphone. And I mean, for them, it's normal, right? And they are super fast. I mean, I mean, I mean when I want to know new functionalities and, and cool apps, you know, I ask uh, the daughters of my partner. And they teach me all the time new things, you know, because they can learn this much faster than I can. So, and I think the the, the older we get, uh, the more resistant we are to change. And it's normal, we're a bit slower in um, (laughs) learning new things, right? I mean, uh, it's also an attitude, uh, of course. It's not only the age, but it's a bit more challenging. And so the problem is we don't really have the choice because it's not only about work, you know, technologies are pushing uh, new ways of doing things. And uh, they are, I mean, for example, my mother refused to have a credit card and uh, <laughs> she doesn't want internet, etc. But the consequence of that is that very often I have to book uh, or buy things for her on the internet that she could not get otherwise, or just because it's, you know, cheaper on the internet. Her bank forced her to, to get a debit card because they don't, in France, want you to use cash anymore. And then that makes it difficult for this part of the population who doesn't want to adopt change or is very slow in, yeah. So we don't have the choice, I think. So me, I try always to push myself to every month to learn something new. I mean, even small things. So for example, um, like most of people, I was paying with a credit card. Yeah. But then I realized, oh, I can save my credit cards in my smartphone and it's even easier to pay with my smartphone and I don't need to have my wallet with me anymore. And I push myself to use it. And now I only pay with my smartphone. I mean, I'm even surprised when I can't do it. (laughs) So I think we have to also push ourselves to adopt small changes, not only technology-wise. You know, learning new habits is very healthy for the brain anyhow. I agree to that. I find myself often out of my comfort zone these days, but that mostly has to do with as my daughters grow and I'm just learning along with them as they get into new catastrophes or <laughs> ask new sorts of questions that I have to answer. 
Is there anything that I haven't asked you yet today that you uh, think is really important to anybody who's building their career or is really important of a value of yours that you just want to share? For, for me, self-reflection is very important and to, to have it really on a regular basis. And uh, I mean, my best practice is really to write things down. I mean, I don't write an agenda every day. I know people say it's good to do, but at least once a year, I review, you know, what did I achieve and which goals I had I didn't really reach and maybe I was too ambitious and what are the next things I want to do in the following year. I mean, it's, it's good to write it and to review it and to to give yourself honest feedback, you know, because sometimes we are not very realistic about ourselves and we need to review that. And uh, I write whatever, you know, what I feel about my partner, about... Uh, so last year I was not good at doing physical activities, for example. So I decided for myself... Uh, Okay, this was not good because this and this happened. So uh, now I I will have a good plan. But how what how can I motivate myself to do more physical activity? It starts with motivation, etc. So if you write it, it's a kind of commitment to yourself. I know there are some people they use the social media, Facebook, for example, and they share with their community. I want to achieve that within a year, and it's kind of a way to make pressure on yourself. You can do that, but I feel it's too much pressure for me. So I prefer to keep the commitment with myself or with my partner or maybe with a special friend and review it time to time with them and, and, and with myself. And, and I think we ha- should not be too ambitious with ourselves. We have to be very realistic of our energy level because if I put myself too much under pressure, at some point I won't feel, um, uh, you know, you're unhappy because you think you're a loser because you didn't achieve this and that. And um, so that's a danger sometimes. But also there are people that are not ambitious enough and they think they, there are things they will never uh, be able to do. And, and here we need to challenge ourselves or we need to ask people to challenge us. So self-reflection, getting feedbacks from other people who you trust, getting outside, uh, asking people about their lives to get new perspectives. Reading is very important. I mean, I I don't like to carry books, so I have my Kindle. And uh, every time I travel, I have my Kindle with me and I have (laughs) so many books I want to read and I read lots of articles on the social media or newspapers and even topics that I don't relate to necessarily, but there is always uh, something new to read and uh, you build upon that. I have to ask, what is a book that's currently on your Kindle? Uh, There are different books about uh, disruption in healthcare. Uh, There is one also called The Digital Cortex or um, Digital Health or uh, The New Drug Prescription. I mean, a lot because this is the area where I am and I'm very keen to learn more about it and follow the trends. So I don't have at the moment uh, really uh, literature books, (laughs) which is on the things I like to do more because it's about also stimulating your imagination. But my imagination in the moment is in this tech world (laughs) and how we can change healthcare positively uh, using technologies. So, um, I mean, sometimes uh, it's a bit scary and uh, sometimes you're like, it's a science fiction movie uh, when you read some scenarios and then you realize, no, actually it, it could be true soon. So this is the kind of stuff. But I no longer read books from A to Z. I no longer do that. I mean, especially you know, on the Kindle, it's a different way of reading now with these tools. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah. so you maybe skip to sections or just yeah. read certain parts. Yeah. If there is a section I'm not really interested in, uh, you know, like the data privacy stuff. I mean, I know it's important, but it is not really the stuff I'm interested in. So I would yeah, skip this kind of paragraph, but uh, also you know, on the Kindle, you can uh, highlight some paragraphs you like. Uh, it's linked to internet, so you can search for some words that you don't understand because most of the books I read are in English. You can make annotations. It's a different way of reading, of acquiring knowledge, but uh, I think also young people nowadays struggle also to read books from A to Z. Uh, they, they seek lots of information from the internet, which is also a, a risk, of course. 
I know. I, know. I have one last thing I have oh. to say, because I'm sure listeners are going, but she said this was the last question. But actually, I've gotten some feedback now that I've launched my podcast. And overwhelmingly, you know, it's positive. Everybody says great things. I don't know if they're lying, but <laughs> they're nice. But the one thing that I consistently get is, but the podcast is too long. Okay. And I have to explain to people, this is an artistic choice that I actually want to have in-depth conversations. Yeah. And what most people are seeking are the shortcuts. Like, how do I read just this one section? Or how do I get this, you know, 20-minute snippet of information that's interesting? But, you know, for me, I think so many people are skimming. And so they get a little bit of information but don't ever get like a full in-depth information. So they know a little bit about a lot of topics, but they don't really understand the knowledge that they have because they haven't gone in depth. And I think that to me is the scariest thing that's happening to our society as a whole, because everybody thinks they understand and they know about lots of different topics when they don't really. No. And so they make a lot of uninformed decisions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because we have time constraints. Yes, exactly. And we're supposed to know about many, many things. And so we consume information. That's the issue. But okay, if you have long podcasts, what I can uh, recommend to the listeners is that when you go and do some sport activity, for example, so for, like for me, if I go running on the trail machine, it's a bit boring. And so I get a podcast from The Economist, for example. So I'm doing sport and at the same time, I'm learning something new. And then it's not boring because, I mean, I run for one hour, so <laughs> I need to Perfect. find podcasts of one hour. No? <laughs> so, yeah, so what you're saying is I'm really helping people to up their physical activity because if I keep it at an hour, they have to run for an entire hour. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I'm really glad to have you, Muriel. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Level Up Your Leadership. If you're interested in learning more about today's guests and the topics we've discussed, check out the show notes on www.lisacristin.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes to subscribe. While you're there, it'd be great if you could rate and review the show. And if you really like the show, I would appreciate it if you shared the word on social media. As always, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.